Samaria by Robert E. Howard. I remember the dark woods masking slopes of somber hills, the gray clouds leaden everlasting arch, the dusky streams that flowed without a sound, and the lone winds that whispered down the passes. Vista on vista marching hills on hills, slope beyond slope, each dark with solemn trees. Our gaunt land lay so when a man climbed up, a rugged peak and gazed his shaded eye. Saw but the endless vista, hill on hill, slope beyond slope, each hooded like its brothers. It was a gloomy land that seemed to hold all winds and clouds and dreams that shun the sun, with bare bows rattling in the lonesome winds, and the dark woodlands brooding over all, not even lightened by the rare dim sun, which made squat shadows out of men. They called it Samaria, land of darkness and deep night. It was so long ago and far away, I have forgot the very name men called me. The axe and flint rip spear are like a dream, and hunts and wars are shadows I recall. Only the stillness of that somber land, the clouds that piled forever on the hills, the dimness of the everlasting woods, Samaria, land of darkness and the night. O oh, soul of mine, born out of shadowed hills, the clouds and winds and ghosts that shun the sun, how many deaths shall serve to break at last? This heritage which wraps me in the gray. Apparel of ghost? I search my heart and find. Samaria, land of darkness and the night. Hey there, readers. You are listening to... The first ever DPW bookcast. We need adventure music. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today is Spencer, the Brethunian Boogeyman Church. <laughs> I already forgot the name of that place. <laughs> We're giving Spencer fantasy names from the, the Conan stories, and I I already forgot if Brethunia. Bruthamanu. So is this, uh, you don't consider what you and Ashley did before the, the first book cache? No, that that was the uh, reading inebriated uh, reading challenge. Uh, that the, That's a separate series that's going to focus on weird books. Um, books that are challenging to read, uh, such as uh, um, maybe 100 Years of Solitude might have, because that's like stretching over long periods of time. But then there's, uh, I'm trying to think. There's a series where there's a few books where like the whoever wrote it would not he wrote the whole book with like the letter E. I mean, they just weird things like that. Like we'll focus on stranger books. Okay. But this, the book cast, this is more of a read along for you folks listening. And uh if you go to the post we did, I think it was like a, a couple weeks ago, that was telling you the story, not necessarily the guy, but what stories we'll be reading in kind of the order. I'll post those every week. I will also accompany the YouTube link for I don't remember the channel. Somebody read them, though. Yeah. So if you don't necessarily want to read the books, you can listen to them. Yeah, because... Uh, no, well, the stories. They're short stories. I yeah. mean, it only took me like an hour to read three of these. Yeah. But anyway, that opening poem was the opening of this Conan... The, the Coming of Conan the Sumerian Collection, which is uh, Robert E. Howard's 17 Conan stories. Is that what it is? Or 13 in this? I think 13. 13 in this. And there's some, like, incomplete stories and a few other things. This was uh, 
it had a Ford, which I really enjoyed. It was, it was only a couple pages. It was by the artist who does, he uh, did all the illustrations for this. Mark Schultz. He did all the illustrations and uh, it gives, it really gives you the old timey like pulp magazine feel, yeah. which I like to separate like we were talking off air. The cover of this is cool, except for when you look at the girl's face close up, close up. Uh, she's being attacked by a monster of sorts. He's carrying her oddly. You get a weird angle, and she has a smile on her face. That's gonna have to be the, like the thumbnail. The, the Zoom thumbnail. in on her face. It would just like just you know the th- that'd be the thumbnail for whenever you know for this episode. Mm-hmm. And we were originally gonna do an episode on Robert E. Howard before we actually got into the uh, bookcast episodes because he has a pretty wild life. But maybe we'll do a separate thing on that yeah. at some point. But his just a quick like a brief thing. One, he was friends with H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. So you and I've noticed the style, mm-hmm. and not just the style of writing. He's like a easier to read version of H.P. Lovecraft, and a more uh, focused on action, which I liked. But he also uses some of the uh, the occult type elements, like the old ones, the, and, and, yeah, so and I, stuff like that. Yeah, I'm really digging that. The way he wrote these, because we were talking too, which we will break down. When we do these three stories today. He wrote for the pulp magazines but he actually unlike hp lovecraft the main editor of the pulp magazine uh robert e howard focused and actually listened to that guy and took his advice and wrote his stories according to how the editor you know his fixes pretty much he would go okay that that'll work this won't work and he actually let him get polished that way versus hp lovecraft he wouldn't if uh, a story got rejected that's it he's just done with that story Mm. he wouldn't polish it up and try to but like like hp lovecraft they both made their right or their money from writing these pulp stories that'd be that like because like we're in him and then i've recently been dipping my toe into the hp lovecraft world myself yeah you that's inner i want your viewpoint because you're reading these currently like you're yeah. both you're reading both of them and i just like imagine there were a time where you could make like a, a steady decent living by submitting stories to a magazine. Wouldn't that be kind of nice? That would be awesome. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't making a lot of money. Which also, in the introduction, explains why some of the stories that might even be in this collection yeah. aren't the best. Is because Robert Howard had to kind of speed up, you know. Yeah. When you're, especially if you're publishing adventure stories and things like that every week and you're on a deadline. Because unlike now, a lot of magazines came out weekly and stuff. Like, yeah. you know, or, and they're cheap. That's why they're pulp magazines. But he would uh, kind of have a deadline, so he would just rush them out. Yeah. So some of them weren't good. The the ones we read so far, I really liked. Yeah. I'm interested to get to one of those bad ones. We'll break down his writing style, too, as we go into these, because he he his style goes against everything I've been taught to a yeah. degree. Like with, you know, adverbs and adjectives and stuff. I mean, it's not like... Like, nowadays, when you write, they want you to talk about someone running swiftly. You don't say they ran swiftly or they ran quickly. You're supposed to say, find a way to describe how they run. Yeah. But he just uses quickly, fast, or um, usually everything with L-Y. That's what he uses. He loves, you know, deadly, quickly, uh, speedily, hurriedly. He's always adding those. Well, well, that probably also plays into the... um the um, medium that he writes in, like we were saying with the magazines, he probably has like a word count. Like along with like the deadline, there's probably almost so much space so he can't go on these Descri- long... Dr- yeah. yeah, because we know H.P. Uh, Lovecraft likes to do that. Yeah, 
And, uh, which is also why he was rejected a lot of the times. Um, Robert E. Howard, he also did that probably because these were marketed as, marketed to young men and kids. Yeah. And teenagers. Easier to know, read. The, yeah, the pulp magazines. And when I was reading these, while all the adverbs and stuff stuck out to me, they also, like for me, actually made the story fun. Yeah. Because you're just, it's all action and it's just you're going through it and you're not bogged down with the over descriptions or it almost makes me want to add those into my work, but I know that probably wouldn't work out because that's not how writers write nowadays. Well, I mean, it probably just depends on the kind of story that you're doing. If you're doing a quickly passed like action story, it could probably work well doing it that way. And then whenever you are writing maybe more of like a, a drama or like, you, I don't want to say serious isn't the right word, but you know, it probably, you know, it depends on the kind of story. If that you're writing you a more literary story, you might want to focus on, you know, describing things and metaphors and stuff. But if you're writing, like you said, an action story, you know, just cleaving someone in the head's fine. You don't have yeah. to just really go into descriptions and things. And see, that's one of those, like a lot of, a lot of times that's one of those, like, the reader's imaginations can be better than yours. Like, you know, yeah. you leaving it kind of vague like that gives them a more time, a more like openness to with their own imagination to kind of figure out what that looks like inside their own head. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I kind of wanted to say about Robert E. Howard is that because rather than just going because you, you can Google this or get, if you read the introduction, you could get the how Conan came about. Yeah. But um I just like that a lot of authors, which I think it says in here, like uh, Bram Stoker. When you think of him, you just think of Dracula. Yeah. Can you name any other work? No. Uh, and there's a lot of writers like that. They get pigeonholed by just the one main character. He created Conan, but when I ever, like, until recently, whenever I heard of Conan, I didn't know who wrote it. Yeah. Like, I was like, like you told me Robert E. Howard. I wouldn't even know who he was or, you know, knew who he was. But nowadays... uh you don't really get characters like Conan. You don't get no. the... I mean, you have, like, Spider-Man stuff. That all came about in, like, 60s and 70s, yeah. too. So you don't really get these these kind of uh, iconic characters coming out of fiction nowadays. So I thought that was cool. But he wasn't really bogged down by just Conan because he wrote a lot of other yeah. stories that weren't Conan. And uh, they also were pretty popular. Yeah. And they've been revived in comics and different mediums. So that's pretty... I always thought that was pretty interesting because... I mean, can you name a modern, like, after 1990 character, say after 2000, a character, like, an iconic character that was created in fiction? Not no. movies, just... Yeah, especially in just, like, literature, yeah. like... Outside of the horror genre, because, like, in, I mean, again, that was 80s and 90s, but you had, like, Jason and uh, Pinhead would be a better example because he was in the Clive Barker novel, but I can't really think of any, like... I would cool. be interested could, to see some could people... You, could you throw, um... Dexter in that because he was originally a book series before he became uh maybe but would you say he's iconic like if you said to the random not person Dexter he, well not now probably yeah like he, ten years ago you probably yeah. could have even like a Game of Thrones you could just ask a random person like who Daenerys Targaryen is they'd be like I don't know fucking porno actress yeah. like, who knows oh also before we go into that um just like with that opening poem. I was pleasantly surprised because he throws some poems in throughout, you know, uh, we were talking about how the they first poem doesn't really rhyme, it's not a rhyming poem, but he, the other ones in the stories are that he throws in there, and I really enjoyed the way he writes his poetry. I thought yeah. it, was, it was also kind of like his uh, his prose, it's just, it throws imagery at you. When you see it, it's kind of action-packed almost. Tell me at like the beginning of a, 
like a story break, like, you know, part one ends, and right before the second part begins, there's a little mini poem. Like yeah, it really it really adds to it. Yeah, because it's just like when you read the Samaria poem, he words, uses words like brooding and shade and, sh- you know, squat shadows, and, like, he's really painting images for you, which I really enjoy. He's really good at that. That wasn't the right name of that. The Phoenix on the Swords Spencer. Well, you flicking. I'm a loser. Bootharian jabroni. <laughs> this first story in the collection is The Phoenix on the Sword. This is uh his first actual Conan story, yeah. which I think he repurposed, right? I think that was in the introduction. He re- I want to say it was from a. Yeah. He rewrote an unpublished Call story. Yeah. Which Call was like pretty much like a Conan type yeah. of. Barbarian Cause, character. Because there's Conan, Cole, and then um, Solomon Kane. Is that the other yeah. guy? Those are kind of like his big three characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he wrote this story. It was published in Weird Tales in 1932. So keep that date in mind when you go into something like this. So if you, But again, it's like an adventure story. Uh, these are adventure stories. So they don't really it's hard to date them really other than yeah. like maybe the writing style you can't like you read some like you say you read a Hemingway or something obviously that you know historical elements that's gonna be dated another thing that Robert E. Howard did which was cool which also kind of makes it so it doesn't feel so dated his fantasy names um like the cities and stuff they were based on actual ancient city names and mm. things he might have like tweaked them a little bit but all like the names and the writing style in regards to like kind of like Greek names and things like that, he kept to actual history. Yeah. So when you go into reading it, it um, it gives a little bit of realism to it, which is kind of cool. Well, this is like the, when if you go into like the back lore of Conan, it's uh, it's supposed to kind of be like the time before like the Ice Age or like, you know, right before like modern time or whatever you want to consider that is. So ancient. Well, he also has a... Which is really cool, which I immediately got when I started reading these stories, is kind of, I don't know if this was an actual ideolo- uh, ideological way of thinking for him, or if it's just something he liked to put in his books, but he has a barbarian versus civilization, yeah. like, that's Motif, a common yeah. theme, yeah. So you always get, which... I've been agreeing with the barbarian. Read this. Like, <laughs> Yo, right? I'm not even joking. Like I've been in a few disputes this week at work and stuff, just like talking to annoying people and stuff. And I'm just like, you just wanted to. I'm thinking about somebody. cleaving them in the head. I was like, this would solve all my problems. And like <laughs> with civilization and you know civil society, you have all these laws, and dumb rules, and all these ways of doing things. And like if you murder somebody, chances are. You're going to end up the same way you would end up in barbarian times. It just takes way longer. You're yeah. going to get fucking killed somehow. <laughs> but, or in prison, one of the two. But <laughs> whenever I get into some kind of dispute, I just think, if I cleave this guy in the head, he'd leave me alone. It'd be, yeah. it'd be done with. Or yeah. just beat him up. <laughs> so, But he the, like he took it more seriously, obviously. like He breaks down these themes in a way where you can always see the barbarian yeah. side. So you definitely lean towards barbarianism being like the preferred way to handle things and do, like just reading these first couple of stories don't you just want to get go out and like get a tan do you just want to be really tan get real jack <laughs> and just start taking a sword with you everywhere yeah some of these swords i didn't know why he had to be mostly naked though <laughs> i didn't understand that but we'll get into that the plot of the phoenix on the sword 
The very first Conan story depicts him as a king, which means that when writing later stories placed earlier in Conan's life as a thief, pirate, mercenary, etc., Howard and the readers already knew that the character was ultimately destined to become a king. We also talked off air about how we thought it was interesting, but kind of lame in a little bit that he started off with an older Conan being a king, because you know in all the other stories he's going to survive yeah. from his, his youth. That takes away some of the uh, dramatic elements. But again, when you're reading pulp magazines yeah. back in the 30s, you would go, you could just go into a random one. You yeah. didn't know who Conan was. You, you're not. And if you didn't read the first story, you're good. Yeah, and like, what's the chance of like extra copies of those being laid around? And he probably wrote that story before he was like, "Oh wait, I could do so much more." Like, you know what I mean? Mm. It's whatever, you know. Yeah. Though it is kind of cool reading the other stories, being like trying to, because <laughs> you know, like none of the stories are in order at all from the way he, you know, he he wrote them. So as you're reading each story, you it, it's kind of fun to piece through like. So this happened before or after this story. You're like yeah. trying to figure out. Trying to, cause he's in different, he's in vastly different places a lot of the time too. You know, he hasn't even been in Samaria yet, right? So far, he's no. He's off, just talking about for being from. Samaria. Yeah, he started off as the king of Ecolonia or whatever it is, and then he was. Um, I think the second story he was. I forget what place it was. But it was a battlefield and pretty <laughs> much would have been like Iceland or some Nordic country. And then uh, the third story, he was, I think, in a more southern, almost got like an African country, maybe, something like that, or a more southern country. It's pretty cool. But these are all kind of based around uh, like a a, a Nordic area, Iceland, Finland, those kind of, Sweden, those kind of places. But uh, the Phoenix on the Sword begins with the middle-aged Conan of Samaria attempting to govern the turbulent kingdom of Equalonia. I still don't know if we should have listened to... The uh, the version on YouTube just to get the names yeah. right because I A Q U I L O N E I A Equalonia I guess Conan has recently seized the crown of Equalonia from King Nubididis <laughs> after he strangled the tyrant upon his throne. Fucking Nubididis. <laughs> uh, see, I like that because we can make fun of Nubididis because he was definitely a white guy. <laughs> yeah. However, his rule over Equalonia is non-existent, as Conan is more suited to swinging his broadsword than signing official documents with the stylus. The citizens of Equalonia, who originally welcomed Conan as their liberator from Numididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididididid
no. than everyone else because if it just start out with oh I'm Conan this is my adventure you know and you just yeah. from Conan's point of view okay you're just Conan but by having him as this other character that the you know regular characters bump into then it makes them more, more uh, mythological and it definitely works with the way that of writing like how we mentioned with like these stories on in chronological order order and just having that openness of it I think works better if you know right but anyway the uh citizens of Ecolonia, they had uh while conan was their liberator from the nubidius tyranny at some point as things always do yeah. things it might not even went south they just kind of forgot the, you know how bad the tyranny yeah. was and they started to go against Conan because mainly just because he was a Sumerian, he was a foreigner. Well, wasn't it just like I got the the I feel like it was mostly just like just that one guy. Yeah, that one guy didn't like him, so he wanted to get rid of him. And he wanted the throne, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, yeah. But uh, they have constructed a statue of Nubides. Oh, Nubides. I guess that was easier than Nubides. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes words pop out you later. Anyway, they constructed a statue of Nubides. Memory in the temple of Mitra, and priests burn incense before their slain king, hailing as the holy effigy of a sanity, saintly monarch who was done to death by a red-headed barbarian. And then we got the rebel four formed, and we got some guys, and um, I don't want to go too far into breaking, because this break, actually breaks down the whole story. Yeah. But um, I think it was Ronaldo. Whoever it was, he was a poet, and he was uh, back then, which is based off of Greek pokes, I believe. Like the Greek poets and uh, even like Roman stuff, they were orators. Yeah. They told stories out loud in a poetic fashion, like Homer, the Odyssey, Iliad, things like that. This guy is sowing those, those seeds of discontent, of, uh, of doubt in Conan's abilities to be king. And he has a plot to take over the kingdom, maybe? Mm-hmm. Who knows? And then uh, there's also another guy, which this is kind of more on the H.P. Lovecraft side. Thoth Ammon, who is a wizard, yeah. and he is a slave to another man because he had a ring that was able to bring about serpents of the yeah. other world, the old ones or something, The who was here before humans, and uh, this gentleman manages to maybe get his ring back and cause mischief, you yeah. don't know. There, it's, inter, it's like a intertwining story, and then there's obviously, as Conan stories always have, a giant battle that ends yeah. things or begins things or just throughout Oh, I won't ruin it for you. One to ten. No, we do whiskey shots here. One to four. One out of four whiskey shots. What do you give this story? I give it a 4.5. Yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. And, you know, you've always hold, heard, like, oh, they should do, like, a, a, an old man Conan movie with Arnold now. Could. And, you know, I always thought that was, like, a cool idea in general. Mm. But now actually reading this story, like, I think that could be really cool. And he was still fucking shit up. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, as not to, like, spoil the, the, the story or whatever, but Conan still wins. Like <laughs> He always wins, at least so far. Well, you would think, like, maybe with that, like, that, like, that could maybe be the last Conan story. You never yeah. know. We, you know, with not going through the rest of the collection yet. But I thought that even at an old man age, he's still messing people up. How did you like, um... Howard's way of writing the fight scenes. I really enjoyed those, too. Oh, yeah. He did a really good job of kind of not overdoing it, but making enough so you can actually visualize yeah. the fight happening. He's really good at that. I'm trying to see if there's a like little excerpt here I can find. Well, you know what? I Like I said, I took some pictures. Mm-hmm. 
on my phone or this because I don't want to highlight the book. I don't. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not a highlighter. I don't like ruining my books. No. Some people do, but I. I don't want to. Yeah, I probably should have zoomed in. I don't know. I just had a whole page. But yeah, he does a very good job of of describing not only in the flights but just stuff in general in in a way that it gives you enough that you can picture it clearly without it being like a hindrance or bogging you down or feeling like a chore to read. Yeah, because I've read some uh, certain scenes from other authors, even action scenes that I'm just like, I don't. This is this is too much, or it's just boring, or it's overwritten. Howard, he keeps a really good balance of not doing that. Oh, this was just more about the uh, like the H.P. Lovecraft elements. <clears throat> just a random excerpt here. He came upon a wide stair carved in the solid rock, and the sides of the, this is like a dream state, by the way. And the side, the sides of the shaft were adorned with. Oh, here we go with the H.P. Lovecraft words: esoteric symbols of ancient and horrific. Ancient symbols so horrific and horrible that King Conan's skin crawled. The steps were carved in each with the abhorrent figure of the old serpent. The old serpent set. So that, some of this is in shadow, sorry folks. So that a, so that at each step he planted his heel on the head of the snake as it was intended from old times. But he was nonetheless at ease for all that. So in his dream state he's walking up a staircase made of carved snakes yeah and, and then he goes into uh some kind of old temple and it's very hp lovecraft-esque which i really enjoyed <laughs> i just like how this one starts from the wall oh this is mid-sentence from the wall and met the leaping horror with a cast of his axe that had behind it all the desperate power of his electrified nerves the flying weapon glanced singing from the slanting skull which should have crushed and the king was hurled halfway across the chamber by the impact of the giant body. Like, you guys gotta love yeah. how he writes that. Like, it made me feel really shitty about how I write any kind of action scene. I was thinking of, like, recent ones I've, like, uh, I had a chase scene in one of my recent works. And I was like, well, that's just garbage. <laughs> like, I need to really learn how to do this better. Oh, uh, yeah, and there's monsters. Fucking monsters. Yeah, and he always uses words like frenzied fury, like, you know, phrase like frenzied fury and volcanic wrench. Like, he really adds to the imagery because, you know, he didn't just grab somebody and pull, he volcanic wrench. Like, he really rips them. Or his, like, blazing blue eyes and uh, what was the one he always used for his hair? Black. Yeah, but like I feel like he, I don't think he's. I don't remember. Oil slick black is what I'll say. No, it was like, it was something a little cooler than that. Should have highlighted these on my phone. That would have been a good move. Next time. Yeah, well, uh, well, you know how we do things. We don't plan them. Oh, that's awesome one too. We'll get to them <laughs> in the next story. Okay. <laughs> but uh, sexy fucking Conan with his muscles all. Old. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> oh, sorry, we we got cut off for him, and then he just <laughs> he just cut off and get all creepy. Yeah. So I really like the first story, but. The second story I was think, my favorite. I think, yeah, out of these first three, the second one, for some reason, I don't know why. <clears throat> Get a look at this bad boy. I think it was just the writing of it I really yeah. enjoyed in the imagery. The Frost Giant's Daughter. It was it was a really cool story. And it honestly, out of like so like these three Conan stories you read, it was the one with like the least action, I believe. Yeah, it was just him chasing a bitch. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really. She was kind of a bitch. 
Let me see if I can find a synopsis here. I wish I could find one that's not on Wikipedia. Well, so you know that it's actually... No, the Wikipedia gives, like, a fucking 80-page plot. Like, it breaks the whole plot. It doesn't just have a synopsis. All right, here, here's the uh, the Frost Giant's daughter on a snowy field somewhere in Nordheim. I'm thinking maybe Norway? I don't know. Yeah. Nordheim, likely along the border of Asgard and Vanaheim. And I also like you have Valhalla talk and yeah. Asgard and things like that. A battle between Conan's... Acer, hey, they broke down your word because in here it's written A and E are connected into one letter, yeah. and it's weird. But this one actually breaks down as A E S I R, so it's just Acer. Anyway, Conan's Acer companions in a war party of Veneer ends with Conan, the sole survivor of his band, the giant battle folk. Everybody died, but of course Conan and still still alive. He's a badass. He's the only survivor, and he's facing the final surviving Veneer. Heimdall. Conan is victorious, but so weak, and he collapses onto the battlefield. Almost losing consciousness, he is startled by a woman's laughter. Weird thing to see on a giant icy battlefield, yeah. or here, rather. Like, you hear laughter, you're like, what the fuck's going on? Maybe you're hallucinating. Maybe especially you got too like much a, blood loss. Especially, like, a female laughter. Mm-hmm. And though his vision is foggy, he sees a beautiful, ivory-skinned woman stand before him. The enchanting, pale, golden-haired beauty taunts Conan, who cannot tell if she is veneer of Azor... Whatever that word is. Challenging him to rise from the snow. Oh, you can't tell if he's Veneer or Azer. The Veneer are the yeah. uh, enemies. Okay. But he can't tell if she's challenging him to rise from the snow and follow her. Um, or something else. Her mocking attitudes overwhelms Conan's weariness, and he pulls himself up and lunges at her lustfully. And uh, I won't go more into that, but what I loved is he is a madman. Yeah. Because he's following this lady. And he, he, he follows her so far, and there's so much, the descriptions too, so much ice and snow and everything, it's like quite laborious. Like, yeah. He's almost dead, and because he's definitely wounded from the battle. Because it's like, it's like feet of snow. Like. Yeah, there's just lots of feet of snow. And this lady's taunting him, and she's so beautiful, and like there's descriptions about her hair and eyes, and everything is like amazing. And then he just kind of gets furious with yeah. his madness for this woman. And then all of a sudden, shit gets real yeah. when she leads him to like her brothers which are ice giants yeah. and that's what she does she finds the lone survivor of these battles and i don't know if this is based on mythology but i think it is and uh the fucking ice giant brother whatever family they just murder him i guess yeah, they eat eat him. yeah. something that's what giants do well unfortunately for these poor giants they didn't realize <laughs> conan fucked shit up and conan did fuck <laughs> shit up he meets these two uh icy gentleman and proceeds to cleave them in various ways yeah. <laughs> he fucks them up and then the girl wasn't laughing anymore and she like takes off because for before she's just like staying split. just ahead of him and like he does this awesome like way of describing like it doesn't even seem like her feet are touching the snow it's almost like she's flying or floating or something yeah, yeah. and it's she's very ethereal and spirit like and you could tell she's definitely like a god or a princess or something like whatever that. this species species is yeah but then when conan just murders the shit out of her giant brothers who have never been murdered the shit out yeah. of uh things get real and uh obviously the adrenaline's pumping now and conan's just angry and just wants this woman for himself and get a little rapey vibe a little, yeah. little rapey tiny bit tiny it's bit 30s molestery 30s, 30s. get it <laughs> yeah. and he goes after this lady we I mean, know since the 30s he goes after this broad right <laughs> yeah. 
And now she's not so much this uh, just staying she ahead went of this dame. Yeah, she stops laughing and she's frightened. She's like, "Ah, oh, this never happened. I need to get away from this guy. He is crazy." And she runs and because the snow and the ice is so thick, like Conan's sinking and he's trying his hardest and his exertion is extreme and he's like dying still. So she gets like out of sight. She's so far ahead of him. But because he's Conan, he just gets angrier and just goes harder yeah. until he catches up with her. Well, and that, that, the way he describes because, like, he first describes her as, like, fully being able to see her to becoming very small, like a small blue flame, to barely being able to see her. And then he brings it back to it's a very small flame, barely able to see her. It, like, you yeah. know what I mean? There was, that, there was, like, that paragraph of her getting out of, like... Getting out of his line of sight and him just keep on trucking and her just slowly getting back into his Get in view frame and, and him just getting closer and closer to it, like. And then he eventually grabs this lady and there's a very beautiful scene that unfolds. Not for her. And then, <laughs> uh, and then, um, he grabs her. She's very skinnily clad. I don't yeah. think she's really wearing anything, but like No, this. because I think it's just her hair. Like, isn't No, she there's like a, like a, some kind of flowy wrap of sorts because... I forget what the word for it was, but except she's pretty much naked. Yeah, that, that's the way I read it was that she was just nude. And because it's the 1930s, he forces a smooch on her. And, yeah. you know, and Greg grabs her up a little bit. Lots of squeezing and digging. And, but then she, uh, her dad's the ice fucking god or whatever, ice giant god man or whatever. So, she, you know, she gives away safely, but the well, truth. No, he's like, um... Makes her burst into flame or something. No, I think she just, like, disappeared. Or whatever, like... Yeah. But then what uh, happened to the old Conan feller is uh, he almost dies, and he's, like, passed out. And then, like, some people who were supposed to be in the battle who got delayed because they got another battle, they find him, and he's almost, like, he's getting, like, frostbite kind of and stuff. And they're like, oh, hey, Conan, what's up, man? How you doing, brother? Yeah. He's like, I'm a little cold, man. You know, you know how it is. I didn't ever play it. Bitches. Like, so, so Conan, why are you so far away from that big battle where yeah. everybody's dead? Well, you know, I saw a lady. I chased her down. She's pretty sexy. I want to get her number. But, you know, I was a little fucked up. Oh, yeah. You might imagine that. I'm like, what are you talking about? Probably hallucinated that. That's not like you're out in the middle of nowhere in Icefield. That's probably didn't happen. And then another guy was like, you know what, man? I heard the story that back in my lady. day, because it was like yeah. an older dude. Yeah, like this shit definitely happened to me. Yeah. I know this dude named fucking Tom, and he definitely <laughs> got murdered by ice giants. I know that happened. They're like, nah, you crazy, Otis? You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> fucking, and then, and then, then you know, Conan's like, nah, man, it's real. I swear. And then he opens his hand, and he's got the little piece of cloth. Remember? Yeah, that's what, oh, whatever yeah, okay, she was wearing. Yeah, it yeah. was like a, I assumed it was like a fucking handkerchief or something. I don't yeah. remember, like some kind of flowy little thing. And uh, that was a very cool. And again, you don't know really what part of Conan's life that was in. But that leads to the next one, which has, at least you know the next one is is cool because that Thoth Amon guy who was in the Phoenix and the Sword, who was the slave, yeah. who gets, he eventually gets his ring back. I don't know why I, I was describing the first story in a way that the listener, because you were listening to this, you should have read along. Yeah. I don't, we're, we're spoiling. This is going to be spoiled. This is 1932, folks. You should be caught <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Spoiler warning. I should have did that at the beginning. Just spoilers. You know, we're spoiling all the stories. Fuck it. I don't know why I was being so obtuse here. <laughs> but uh, I thought the Amon guy, he, in the, first, in the Phoenix in, on the sword, he was the wizard turned slave because somebody uh, stole his ring of serpent powers of the evil worlds or something. 
But he ends up finding the man who has it, and he fucking cleaves him, I believe. Yeah. yeah. No, he runs him through, I think. Oh, yeah, you gotta run through. Yeah, you gotta run through, which is cool. Uh, but he killed that fella, and then he took the ring back, and then he summoned the demons and stuff, and then the story, uh, that story ended up with Conan fighting a bunch of baddies and also a demon monster. And it ended up like this actual second story where nobody believed him until they noticed the shadow on yeah. the ground. They're like, oh, well, I guess he did. People were dumb back then. You didn't believe anything. But, uh... This third story brings this feller back into the picture, but it's that guy's origin, kind of. Yeah. Because it goes into kind of how he got his uh, power, sort of. explains that a little more. This story is the god in the bowl. And I really thought this was just going to be about, like, fucking pothead Jesus or something. <laughs> I was really excited. And uh, I don't want to say this was my least favorite one. Might have been. But it was also really good. I also enjoyed this one. But this story... Gave me also we agreed last one five out of five, yeah. So far yeah. out of story, I mean yeah. maybe yeah we won't remember these enough to judge them by the end. So I give that a five out of five. This one I'll give a solid three out of yeah. five. This one had more HP Lovecraft elements because you're in a temple and there's some uh, the monster that's some. It turns out to at least be a serpent, but it's still like you know the guy who sees it goes mad. Yeah. They throws in the HP Lovecraft madness and. It makes you think, who stole from who? No, because H.P. Lovecraft was writing about madness in, like, the 20s and teens, well, so... I do believe that in that in that introduction or whatever, um, they were talking about, like, how... Because they, they were friends. Yeah, they were and, buddies. And they would, like, they would play with each other's, you know, mm-hmm. stuff. And H.P. Lovecraft actually disliked that Robert E. Howard used, like, real elements from history in his stories because he felt like that was... You know, you shouldn't do that. And yeah. He had some... Probably racist reason for it. Which so far, like, in these first three stories, not like that, you know, we were worried about, like, if, like, racial or anything like that, you know. I didn't get any of that. I mean, I forget one of the monsters in one of these stories was, like, dark-skinned or something, Mm -hmm. but he was also clearly a monster. Yeah. I mean, the most you could do is maybe a little sexist with that Frost Giant's daughter story. Oh, you're de- the, the sexism is definitely blatant with the, the lady folks. Well, I think that's really the only lady folk talked about. Yeah, as far as, like, the monsters being black or something, the way it's written, it's not like you'd get ever think they were black people. Yeah. They're, like, monsters, like, fucking lizard things, and, like, they're yeah. clearly monsters, so... Again, we're not deep enough into the, the mythos here to get that, but the god in the bowl, Conan plies his trade as a thief in the city of Numelia in the kingdom of Numedia. He is caught while attempting to steal a valuable object from a museum and become the suspect in the death of the museum's owner. Now, I completely missed the museum part. I thought it was a temple. I yeah, thought it I was... Know. I got the feeling it was like a religious temple, but I guess well, it might I, be this. I thought it was just like that dude's house. The guy no, because uh, he had a sneak in, remember? Yeah, but a well, house by temp-like, you know, castle-like I, thing. Yeah, you got, kind of got that. I don't. It never said the word museum anyway. But uh, this one I thought was interesting because Conan was a paid-for-hire thief. Yeah. Paid-for-hire thief, and I thought that was interesting because... It kind of gives Conan not so much of a heroic element yeah. if he's a thief. Yeah, see, the first thieving Conan. Thieving fuck. He's had a did they, uh, did last they, life here. Did they say who paid him to steal it? Or did yeah, they... it was the. Uh, we'll break it down for you folks. Right. So it starts off again, like you were saying. This one really goes more into not seeing Conan until later. Because it goes into the Watchmen. I forget his name. They had, these all these guys all had like Greek names, yeah. like Dodius and Panodius and Philomius and Fallopian. 
Nah, too bodious. With him doing this, I think it really helps him, uh, like, build up this world in this fiction by... Well, by... yeah, like, this Namidia, like, you really get the, uh... Because this is, like, this one really depicted his uh, civil society versus barbarianism yeah. so far. And you get the feeling that this Numidia place is kind of like ancient Greece. Yeah. Like, that's the feeling it gives you, like, their laws. Because they're still, like, barbarian in the way they do it. Because, like, when they catch Conan Thieven, they think he's a murderer. But then they're like, well, I don't know, he might be innocent. Well, if we could prove it or not, we'll end up killing him anyway. But yeah. for now, like... We'll put him, we'll put him in the... Uh Salt mines of yeah, sorts. For like, for like 10 years. Yeah. Like they were really dickheads about their law, but they still went by a rule of law. But anyway, it starts with this, uh, this watchman fella and he goes into the, the, the museum and there's a dead guy. Yeah. No, 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 no. And who's lurking in the shadows? But Conan himself. Why? We'll find out. But obviously, well, funny is because Conan doesn't think that guy's the watchman. He yeah. actually goes to that guy's like, hey, make sure you don't alert the watchman. And then the guy immediately rings a bell and he's yeah. like what the fuck are you doing now the watchman's gonna come and the guy's like i am the watchman <laughs> and he alerted the apostasy to come yeah. so they come immediately i forget who conan thought that guy was like another thief or something yeah. or i forget what he thought he was but then they come in and it's almost like a whodunit i was just gonna cool. say it's like a conan whodunit yeah it's like you know what i give it 3.5 i boost this up because i forgot <laughs> about the whodunit part <laughs> And that was a lot, it was really, uh, it was fun. It's Knife Outs meets Conan. Yeah, I like that. I still gotta see that movie. Me too. I don't want to It's still on demand yet. I don't want to fucking, it's still in the theater. Is it? Yeah, I was thinking about going this weekend, man. We'll go tomorrow. Um, anyway, Conan, he, uh, he's defending his honor in the greatest way because they just want him to be like disarmed and there's like, oh, he's clearly the murderer, dead body, random fucking naked guy. Mostly naked guy. Yeah. And he's just like, nah, I'm going to sword you to death. And they're like, what? And they're like, that's just his answer. He's just like, nah, you come over here, I'm just going to murder you all. He's like, he's I'm like, not the murderer, but if you come over here, I'm going to murder you. I don't, He's like, I'm not opposed to murder at all. Get this straight. If you bother me in the least bit, you even irritate me, I'm probably going to chop your head off. But I did not kill that guy. And I kind of make like the, the, the Robert Blake style... I didn't kill her because I was going to my car to get the gun when she was killed. Yeah. Well, Conan's is a little better. His is, I didn't murder him, but I love murder. Yeah. So even though I've murdered lots of people, and I would definitely murder that guy if I wanted to, I did not murder him. And, and, and the fact that he was like, and you can come over here and do something, and you might actually be able to do something, but just know, I'm taking a lot of you guys to hell with me. Just so you know. Every story, well, the fir the first story and that story both have the same element of him just way overmatched by all these people. And he's just like, nope, I'll die, but you're all coming with me. Like, I'm yeah. going to kill everybody. And that's just his great character. He just murders everybody. So these guys go through the whole done-it. There's one guy who kind of believes Conan or at least thinks maybe he's innocent. Which is like the most unbelievable part of the story if you really think about think it. Like this one guy was just like, why wouldn't this guy be the murderer? I think he just didn't want to get murdered. And then the, he was the Inquisitor too. Yeah. And then there was another guy who was like one of the head guys. He's the big tough guy. And he's like, nah, that fuckface definitely did it. Which is reasonable yeah. to assume. <laughs> and then uh, they end up having to bring in like... They break down the story. They find out where this fucking the guy, the dead guy, he was like, I, I don't know. I would say the curator of the museum. If we're going museum talk, I thought he was like a priest or something. Yeah, like I thought the guy, like the guy in charge. Yeah, um, but he had, for lack of a better term, an accountant. Yeah, I forget what the guy was called back then. Not a scribe, but something. This is a little wienery, wienery guy, which I like him yeah. too because he's like so scared of everything and he's wienery and bubbling and fat. 
And then there's like a coachman or something who drove that guy around. So they're all brought into questioning. In the wow, look at that dude's just dead right next yeah. to him. And Conan's just sitting there with his hand on his sword, just like right waiting, fuck you. just waiting. And they just keep like being like, well, he clearly did it. And then they're just like, yeah, maybe he did it because he got the sword, <laughs> the weapon that would easily kill guy. But the guy got strangled to death. Yeah, and that's where it was. And Conan's like, I would have just chopped his head. And they're like, he, he looks like the guy would chop heads. I don't. <laughs> that's it. They actually say that they're like. I don't, he doesn't look like the kind of guy that would strangle. He looks like he would chop his head. <laughs> and then they uh, get the wienery guy. They interrogate. Long story short, it turns out that the fucking priesty guy was trying to steal some shit. And he had like a the god and the bull. It was like yeah. this metal tube thing, a bull thing. And there's this whole nonsense with the, that, that Thoth, Amron, Amon, whatever that guy's name was. The, the wizard guy from the first story. With the serpents and things like that. And then, uh, just to cut out that stuff, because you can read that for yourself. He, uh, Conan ends up murdering everybody. Like, there's a huge battle. He doesn't murder everybody. I'm lying. There's a huge battle, and they go fight, and there's lots of, like, ah, he just got fucking sword in the leg, and, like, a lot of ear cut off. A lot of gruesome injuries. I think maybe a guy got hit in the nutsack real hard. Like, a lot of gruesome injuries, but only a couple people actually died. And I forget what instigated them fighting Conan. Did he just get pissed off finally? I th- I think I can't. Oh, what it was is they asked him. Was like, hey, this goes back to your previous question. Who, may you know? Because Conan's like, that's a funny thing too. Conan's like, I didn't murder anybody. I'm just a thief. I just yeah. got hired to steal <laughs> some shit. And then they're like, well, you'll probably be in the salt mines for ten years. And he's like, yeah, fuck, I will. <laughs> like, you get to like Conan's gonna murder everybody and, at some point anyway. And, and I do like those points like. He's not perfect. Like he messes up. Like I forget the object, but they mention it. He like perks up and like that's what you came here to steer. And he was like, no, no, uh, uh-uh, no, not no, me, not Conan. No, I wouldn't. I was what? Steer what? Some, steer something else, just, but not that. Just kind of looking for like you know a, a, a I was necklace. Just looking, or, I was just looking for the shitter, to be honest with you. Yeah, broke in through the. Yeah, because he describes how he broke it and stuff. But what it was because they end up finding the guy lurking outside. It's the governor's son. Yeah. And the governor's son hired Conan to steal. I forget what it was, a goblet or something. And then, uh, yeah, because he's like, "You hired me," and he's like, "No, I didn't." And yeah, because like, yeah, like, you fucking did. Conan was like, "I had the no- I had the honor of not mentioning your name until just now." And the yeah. guy's like, "Nah, you should probably just kill this guy. He's he's definitely lying." And that's what set Conan off because he's like, "Well." The, that's where the justice, the civil society justice versus the the barbarian comes into play because he's like, this is really stupid and you're wasting my time. I'm just going to kill all of you and then I won't have to worry about yeah. any of this. And then uh, he chops some people up. A couple people die. A lot of gross injuries. And then everybody runs scared because uh, while they're looking through, this is some shadow monster they, they might or might not be seeing. And they send the, the wienery guy into the one room. He's like, hey, there's something in there. You go fucking look at it. And uh, the guy runs out and he goes mad and, you know, the madness. And everybody sees the monster and they run out or something. And then Conan goes and chops his head off because that's what he do. But uh, let me see if I can find the last thing because it was, like, kind of a haunting. It's something that would, like, haunt Conan. I won, like, a little, like, head count of how many people he's killed. Or, like, took their head off. He definitely took a lot of heads off. He could definitely have, like, an actual head count. Yeah, but this is how the, this particular story ends, because he does go in, and he fucking, like, kills the monster of... The way it's described, it's just, like, this thing that draws mad. Like, it's just... You can't... It's almost like H.P. Lovecraft. Almost undescribable, but he actually describes it a little bit. And then, once it's dead and stuff, it turns out to be, like, a serpent. And it was, like, one of the 
old ones or gods or something. And the Sumerian came with a desperate leap and a humming slash of his sword. The beautiful head rolled from the top of the screen in a jet of dark blood and fell at his feet, and he gave back, fearing to touch it. Then his skin crawled, for the screen shook and heaved with the convulsions of something behind. Conan had seen and heard men die by the scores, and never had he heard a human being make such sounds in the death throes. There was a thrashing, floundering noise, as if a great cable were being lashed violently about. At last, the movement ceased and Conan looked gingerly behind the screen. Then the full horror of it all rushed over the Sumerian, and he fled. Nor did he slacken his headlong flight until the spires of Nimalia faded into the dawn behind him. The thought of the set of Set was like a nightmare, and the children of Set who once ruled the earth and who now sleep in their nighted caverns far below the black pyramids. Behind that gilded screen there had been a no human body, only the shimmering headless coils of a giant serpent. So the set is like how H.P. Lovecraft has the old ones. The set is like this ancient yeah. cult type of thing. But uh, like he ran away. Yeah. Like he murdered the thing. But, but then he, he just got the fuck out of Dodge. He's like, oh, I ain't fucking taking <laughs> this shit. Fuck. So even Conan gets frightened of things. He's like, bye, Felicia. So I thought that was kind of a more humaning element to it. Like it kind of made him more human than just this fucking mindless barbarian that kills everything. He does have fear and stuff. He just chooses to overcome it by murdering everybody. Yeah. So, uh, I'm looking really, like, it was really hard for me not to go into the next Conan story. Yeah. Like, I, like we agreed on three Conan stories, and now I kind of wish it was five, because yeah. I didn't read, I didn't realize how fast these would be to read, for one, and that has a lot to do with the language, and, uh, Especially me, because I've been reading such fucking dense literature lately, yeah, yeah. that when I got into something, like, oh, this is nice, this is kind of nice. It's like and... moving without your weighted vest on. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, you know, Goku and Piccolo, I yeah. take off the heavy shit, and I'm just flying around. So, have you gotten anything out of the writing style of old Conan, the Barbarian? Um, the biggest would be, and we've talked about this already, but the description <laughs> of things and people... And all that and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think if you um, took Robert E. Howard's uh, his writing style and just maybe cut out a lot of the adverbs and stuff and just kind of fleshed out some of the see again though I feel like that almost takes away from the action. Yeah, like how that last one you know he he I think it said something like he walked gingerly. That's a lot easier to say than you know he was hampered as he walked because his leg like yeah. he's describing why he's walking gingerly. I feel like that just the way Robert E. Howard mo- wrote was to move the story forward. Yeah. Constant motion. Like these stories, they're constant motion. No, not one part of these stories were bogged down. No, which makes why it's so hard to just like, even if you're tired and you're reading a Conan story, you're not just gonna cut out mid Conan story. Yeah. Like, all right, you know, I got to one of the. The, the kind of like a chapter break in it. I can, you know, I'll read it next. No, you're just like, continue that shit. Yeah. Like, keep it rolling. It's an old page turner, if you will. Yeah. Which is how they had to write back then because... Again, serial fiction, selling things. Yeah, you just wanted to keep... The work had to keep coming out, but you also needed something that's going to make the reader... If you're publishing a weekly magazine, it's almost like comics. You want the reader to be like, oh, shit, what's going to happen yeah. next? I really need to pick up the next one. So not just like end it on the cliffhanger, because he really doesn't end these chapter parts on cliffhanger so much. Is just the writing style is so fast-paced and pushes you in like with such action that you just really, really crave the yeah. next part of it, and you want to see how the story ends. Which is, I wanted to bring this up in my classic literature group, but I, I 
I just didn't feel like getting in the conversation yet, so maybe we'll have it here. Would you? Where would you rate this on the classic literature scale? Because obviously this isn't going to be like a Hemingway, but I feel like he actually would be a better writer than Hemingway when it comes to descriptions and maybe even some metaphors and stuff. Because Hemingway was very watered down, but he's classic literature. So I'm interested to see, like, what your opinion on... I mean, I would, but I'm also not the greatest person to describe... Not well-versed in, like, a lot of the classics. I'm just now kind of dipping my toes in the, the... older literature kind of things now um well just the writing style if you go with that not just we'll we'll exclude the story in the you know the pulp style stories just go with like if you compared robert e howard's writing style to stephen king or even like a neil gaiman who are especially neil gaiman because he's borderlines on literature but he's still considered like more of a pop writer and stephen king's obviously more of just a pop writer So where would you compare his writing style to them? Would you say it's more verbose isn't the right word because he's not real like super wordy. He's uh streamlined. Yeah, he's streamlined, but I would say the way he tells his stories and stuff, like a level deeper than at least the Stephen King. Yeah. Well and then I think what helps him is the with that could help him with the literature article or like argument is the kind of stories that he's telling. Like the, not necessarily like the hero's journey, but kind of like the hero's adventures. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, there's these big, grand kind of things for the most part. Well, the stories are clearly very formulaic. Yeah. You already get that from the back. Like, if you get the formula, you kind of know how all these stories will probably end. But the formula is good. The formula is good. <laughs> the formula is great. It works. <laughs> See, again, that's hard, though, because even though, like, people would never consider, like, Stephen King classic literature probably, like, at any point, even 100 years from now, a lot of his work does borderline that, like, yeah. at least the imagery he presents and stuff. So when you go, like, something like this, it's the classic literature writing style, but it's just the, the content itself. Yeah. So I'd be also interested to see if he's – because, like, the poems, when you read the poetry in here – it's definitely deeper than what you just think is like regular, like, you know, poetry that would be in an action yeah. story or something. So I would be interested to see if he has like more literary type writing well, out there. It's also, it boils also down to that argument that we've had multiple times on what is literature? Like, what are the, like, what are the things you have to check off next to it? To be like literary fiction. This, this is literature. Yeah, this is literature. Does it have to be, like, all wordy and not really tell a story and make no goddamn sense most of the time? Is it supposed to, you know, just be a circle joke about how great your writing skills are? Like, so... I feel like a lot of it is just content. Because, like I said, I would say Robert E. Howard, his writing style would fit more literary... Um, like if if you just got like a random excerpt from one of these stories and had some literary snob read it, did tell them it was a Conan story, be like, hey, if this is just like a classic, uh, you know, event more of adventure story. Like you think of like uh, Don Quixote, like you know, that's like a classic action novel, but it was like the first novel. But uh, that's obviously a classic fiction. But if you took one of these literary snobs and had them read this and just be like, hey, this is like something like Don Quixote or something. Would they be able to think, like, that was actual... Would they read that and be like, oh, yeah, I could definitely see... The, you know, that's got merit. That's definitely, like, a literary... 
Or would they just be like, no, that's that's clearly rubbish. That is Pulp Fiction nonsense. I, I don't I don't know if you could do that, Robert E. Howard. I feel like if you just read a random excerpt without knowing it was Conan, yeah. you would think the writing style was on par with uh, some of the the better writers of the early 20th century. I use Hemingway's example because he had the most basic of writing styles. Like, he popularized the short, punchy sentences, not using big words. Um, even his metaphors, I didn't feel like, uh, were too grand or anything. And he definitely wasn't like a, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald type of writer. Like, obviously, Robert E. Howard's not a Fitzgerald or a Proust or even... See, okay, here's a better comparison. Him and H.P. Lovecraft. You read some of the Lovecraft. Yeah. I feel... Because, like, Lovecraft gets lumped in with the literary classics to a degree... Like, he's on the cusp because, again, he was writing pulp magazine for mag- pulp magazines. But his writing style was on par with, like, an Edgar Allan Poe type of... See, I would say that... I would say H.P. Uh, because I call him H.P. because we're cool. Yeah, um, you buddies. Uh, that I would, he, I would say that he's closer to the literature than Mr. Howard would be. But is that just because he's so verbose and you don't understand a lot of what he's talking about? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. See, Pretty much. I don't know. If see, that... that's how. See, that's how. That's how I view classic lo- literature. Yeah, that's how I. Yeah, but I don't think that should be the way it is. But then again, like I said, though, because you haven't read Hemingway, if you read Hemingway, there's no misunderstanding of what he's writing about. It's it's but I mean, it's almost boring because now, of how basic I'm everything gonna say, is. Like what? Like what happens in a Hemingway story? Like what kind of things happen? Um, is it just like guy fishing? Being alone in the woods. Okay, okay, that's a, here's a good example. We'll use The Old Man in the Sea because that was the only Hemingway novel I read that I really liked and that I actually would say was a masterpiece because I read four of his novels, all his big novels, and parts of them touched me and some oh, yeah. of the writing was all right. You know, it touched me deep <laughs> inside. But The uh, Old Man in the Sea, I would actually classify as beautiful literature. Okay. Like that, like... It, just the imagery he was able to paint, which also was amazing because, again, his basic style of writing, he's not using big words, he's not using these crazy sentences, yet he still painted these images, in that story at least. But that story is just about an old man who uh, is dirt poor, and there's like a little kid who's also dirt poor, and the little kid like likes the old man, and the old man ends up going fishing, and he wanted to take the kid, but the kid couldn't, and he's hoping to catch some fish, because, like he's been... I forget. I think I want to say it's been like years since he caught a fish. Like, and, and this is like obviously like the feed. Yeah. You know, I, he either sell it to make money or so he's like starving and all this shit. Well, he catches the biggest fucking fish, right? It's oh, so the, big, yeah. the biggest fish. Like when you see the guys putting their hands out, I got a bit night bigger. You you think of fucking like uh, Liam Neeson's cock <laughs> Big. bigger? Like this dude got the biggest fish there ever was. That wasn't a goddamn whale, <laughs> which is not a fish. That's a mammal, I believe. And uh, he got the damn fish, but the kid didn't come with him because of circumstances. So he can't reel it in because he's old. So he does like all this fucking elaborate shit to like kind of tie it to his boat. He's like, all right, all I got to do is go back to my village or whatever with this fish. And he's going to be the biggest hero. Like this this dude got this big fucking fish. Like, holy shit. Because everybody kind of made fun of him. He never caught fish anymore. He was like old kook. And uh, kind of has the thing about honor and respect and stuff. And then this old man, this fish, 
nibble nibble what the fuck is eating my fish this goddamn sharks he's gotta defend against this because he's dragging this giant fish in the yeah. ocean and it's bleeding because he's you know harpooned yeah. it or whatever he did and now he's fighting all, constantly fighting off these sharks he's all old and shit there's no little kid to help him because there's like this big thing and about he, him and the he, kid and even if the kid was would there. he be able to like yeah he might throw the fucking kid into the water <laughs> so the sharks eat him and leave him alone for a minute <laughs> He uh, gets back to shore finally, and he pulls up. And it's all eaten. Fish is all eaten, and he's very. But he his head's still held high because he, everyone can see know. the bones of this. Because oh, okay. he can still see the skeleton and stuff. Everybody's like, that man caught the biggest fucking fish anybody's <laughs> yeah. ever caught. <laughs> clap, 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 clap. But it's almost, you know, it's like, you know, you get a hint of melancholy, melancholy there because. He got the fish, but he didn't get the fish. That would, yeah. if he sold that fish, he would have been rich. Like it was, yeah. it was a thing. And uh, how did we start talking about that? Because I was asking you what uh, Hemingway story. It was like, like a general Hemingway like, story. Like yeah. what? What are those stories about, and why they that would be? But see, like, but when you just a lot of people hate Hemingway, and rightfully so, because some of his stuff is boring and stuff. But um, not not besides the alcohol and misog- you know the being a misogynist and all that. And uh, most of his stories actually deal with war. That's like probably why I like that story so much because it wasn't just about war. Yeah, okay. But most of his stories deal with like honor, respect, the uh, what masculinity really is, and just different things like the general fucking thirty-something white man can yeah kind of relate to yeah. And uh, I can totally see why like you know the African American audience would not read Hemingway. Yeah. I, I I get it. It's like I don't even like Hemingway really, <laughs> but. When you get something like that, that's what the difference is. It's not the story itself. It's all the undercurrents of what things actually mean. And what, like, the outcome, you know, the old man not getting the fish. Some people read that and say, like, oh, you just didn't get the fish. This fucking sucks. But it's really about, like, everything else besides that. So what about if you wrote a story? Because, like, okay, you say, like, Hemingworth kind of always has, like, these underlining themes. And now, okay, I guess in, in Conan you could say, like, the civilization, you That's know. That's like, yeah, the main underlying thing. But, like, so if if your story doesn't really have, like, if you're not trying to, like, you're, you're just telling a story and you don't have, like, an agenda is not the proper word for it, but, a, like, a, a thing you're trying to push to, can it, can that still be considered literature, even if it's, Well, you know, here, I'll, I'll, um... I will give you a perfect example of uh, how you could kind of differentiate that. Because sometimes I get, I I hate when people get too wrapped up in a story and like, oh, this represents that. That's supposed to be like, or the guy thought it'd be cool for the story, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel you because sometimes like people, there's a South Park the Scrooge McBooger Balls episode. Yeah. They like reading into this shitty. Not they just wanted to gross people out, but everybody read into it like it was, uh, you know, something different. But anyway, you know, you said like all these undercurrents and themes and things like that. Would can you consider something a classic literature without having that? Yeah. And I would present to you Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, because Treasure Island's just yeah. about swashbuckling pirates. Yeah. Like I didn't really get too many because like. For the most part, unless you're reading, like, writing, like, just really cheesy adventure books or something. Like, they're... Because even, like, A Princess Bride or something, there's always themes. Yeah. There's always undercurrent themes that, if you are really observant, you'll get. 
you know, whether it's coming of age or what love actually means or how to, you know, respect your spouse, just whatever. Yeah. Thing. Like, all these stories have that for the most part. And I don't think Conan is uh, any different in that regard. So why would a Treasure Island be considered classic literature but Conan isn't? I think that just comes with the times. Yeah. Because if you get, you know, like we talk about Stephen King, well, in 100 years, things might be different in 100 years, yeah. though. In 100 years, maybe people will regard him as classic literature just because of the writing styles and things in the future will be so much different. You know what? I, I like to, like, and it'd be hard because anybody who probably would do a whole, like, would read it um, would probably know, but, like, to get, like, a Stephen King book and take, like, the name off of it and, like, or, you know, his name off of it or whatever and give it to a person and let them read it without it them knowing that it's a Stephen King book yeah. and see what they would, you know, how they would react to it. And then yeah, they're like, they, oh, this is really good. Oh, well, that's Stephen King that you just shat on not too yeah. long ago. Would you, would they give them, you know, if they just, if it was an anonymous author, but it was actually yeah. Stephen King, it, which is kind of like his Richard Bachman yeah. reasoning. But would they, uh, I think that was more to do just see if he actually could sell books and like how good he was. Yeah. Not necessarily literary merit. I think those are one of those time, times where, like, you hear about writers who just, like, uh, have these stories flow out of them. Yeah. So I think at that time, too, he also had some extra stories that just he wanted, wanted and up. he didn't want to, you know, there's five Stephen King mm. books this year. But I would, uh, I would be interested to, like, if you to do that experiment, because would they, like a Shawshank Redemption, maybe. Yeah. And of course, that was an actual full novel, uh. What would you say would be a good novel that might be more literary fiction style versus just like a, like a carry or something? Of his, um, maybe the Green Mile is like that series of short ones, you, they, but they have them in like a collection, um, or even just like if you because yeah, a full book might be harder. Like some of his like short stories or something, like mm-hmm. you know, give somebody a short story of his to read and tell them it's not him. And see, you know, what they... If there's, you know, if they would... Oh, he's just grocery like store. Like the, um... The, uh... You, you've read it. Uh, the, um... The man in the black... black suit, yeah. That black suit, like... I could consider that being kind of, like... That could fall into, like, literature because of, like, you know... The if guy. you could... Yeah, I mean, when you read something like that... I could easily see that comparing to, like... You know... Edgar Allan Poe's... Yeah. Uh... I don't know, like a Telltale Heart or maybe like The Pit and the Pendulum or yeah. something. Because, like, we regard all those as classic literature, but The Pit and the Pendulum is just about a man in a dungeon yeah. about to get chopped up. Or, uh, you know, the cask of, what is his name? Uh, Monte Cristo? Oh, no. no. A Tomatillo or something. He, uh, I don't speak French. He, uh. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. I don't like it. He, uh, I mean, it's just about a guy getting walled up. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's obviously other, th- but they're like, that, actually, Edgar Allan Poe is a great like example because how many themes are in a lot of his stories? Not too many, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to you you tell me. Like uh, the Telltale Heart, guilt is the yeah. main theme, but that's it. You know, he kills old man because the old man has a creepy eye. That's not normal. And then he buries him in the thing, and then under the floorboards, and the cop comes, and he can hear his heart beating because guilt draws him to yeah. it. Now, his poetry always deals with, like, grief and things like that, but a lot of his stories don't necessarily, they're just, 
if somebody wrote those stories today in just a traditional modern writing style, you would just, okay, it's just a fun horror yeah. story. You wouldn't think of them as this deep. Of course, it's writing style. That kind of goes to your point earlier about this fucking verbose writing style yeah. that you don't necessarily understand everything being said. That might have something to do with it. But back then, it wasn't necessarily that advanced because a lot of people were writing like that. Yeah. You know, I'm like Sleepy Hollow. What are the themes of Sleepy Hollow? Just a fucking man with a pumpkin head. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't want to go into that too much more because that's uh That's a whole nother. We did a whole episode on that. I yeah, think. Well, I'm sure we'll do another one. Oh, I've got a lot to say. But that was our uh, first book cast, folks. I could talk about that all day. That's actually kind of yeah. fun. So Conan, I would say, deserves a spot. If you're going Hollywood actors, you go your Brad Pitt, your Tom Cruises. They're A-list. Yeah. And then you go your... Uh, I don't know who's on the B list, like your Aquafinas mm-hmm. and your uh, fucking who's Zach Efron's borderline. Yeah, you know, go NBA stats. He's a ninety. Like he's he's yeah. not he's not maybe eighty nine ninety fluctuates. Yeah. And uh, but if you go you know literary style, I would give Robert E. Howard a solid eighty six. Yeah, on the literary scale, he might not be the finest classic literature writer, but he's he's. But higher than you give credit for. So far, 99 in enjoyment, though. 99 in enjoyment. I will give it that. I really enjoyed this, and I... If you folks are reading this, you're missing out. Yeah. Even, uh... Even, like, check out listening to those YouTube videos, because I guess I listened to most of the first story, and it's still, like... It's entertaining, and it's cool to, like... You know, the way... I feel like you get a, the, the, the describing of things kind of yeah. come out a lot more when you're hearing somebody else, you know, talk, like, you know, read it to you. Are, are you turning over to audiobooks? Stuff no, no. Turning to... But why wouldn't that apply to other works? Because I've already technically read it. Okay, you read it first, then listen to yeah. it? Yeah. Makes sense. Like we said, we were trying to listen, thought about listening to make sure we didn't fuck up all the names that we did fuck up during this episode and all the other episodes. I will be sure in the future episodes to listen to some of the pronunciations of. I can't even pronounce pronunciation. Oh man, we're ridiculous. I have been drinking. Leave me alone. Um, but I will be sure to check out the videos to get at least somewhat of a better pronunciation of these names and. uh you know, maybe actually read the names out loud more. Uh, for the next... Yeah, what are we doing for the next ones? Well, we... Get... I think the next two are kind of longer, actually. Yeah. Well, we're on the Tower of the Elephant. That's the fourth story. Starts on page 59. And then the one we after... Read... Well, let's put it this way. We read... Because, the... yeah, the from the Samaria, which is the poem, to the Tower of the Elephants, the beginning of that, is 59 pages. And I read, like I said, I read that in like an hour. Like it really went fast. So I, we should probably read more stories than just well, three. Let's not declare what we're on the on the podcast. What we're gonna read, they'll know that beforehand when we do. Like you know what I mean? Oh, you mean on the Monday post? Yeah, like. All right. Just in case we change our mind on you know how much or what, like you know what I mean? I like the way you think. Do you think the Black Colossus? That might be the racist one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then all of a sudden you notice a lot of weird... You got the Queen of the Black Coast. Iron Shadows in the Moon. How do you say this word? It starts with an X. Zuthal? The Pool of the Black One? You know what? <laughs> um, um, 
I, I think maybe we will be going for a little bit of a ride, Spencer. <laughs> we might actually, uh, we might, oh, this one's just the N-word. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, wait, no, sorry, that's H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> Shit, wrong show notes. Um, well, I guess this will be posted after Monday, so. This episode I'm going to have on Tuesday for you fine folks, if you're listening. But after this week, all of the bookcast episodes will be on Fridays. So Mondays okay. we'll post what you should be reading. Fridays will be at the actual publishing of the episode. And we'll have our normal episodes for Tuesday. Sound good? Sure. Yeah. All right. If you folks want to check out the... Very, very pathetic reading guide. It's not, it's just me saying, this is what we're going to read. Uh, <laughs> go to drunkenpenwriting.com, hit up the old Twitter, and give us a like and a follow. You can't like on Twitter. I mean, you can like our post. That works. Like our tweets. Our posts are so fucking particular. And just yell at us because that's all Twitter is for anymore. Yeah. Like, I've been getting so furious on there. Like, I don't even, on my personal one, I've been having a problem just wanting to talk to people because everything's so goddamn negative. There's so many woke people on there. And, like, neither of us are even right-leaning people, but I get irritated at the left, and I, like, have most of those ideals. Yeah. Like, at least, you know, I agree with most liberal ideas, but on Twitter, fuck all those people. Yeah. Nope. Don't like, Joe Rogan was trending today about how shitty he is, and uh, why is he so popular, and it's just because shitty white guys like him, and I'm like, well, I'm a shitty white guy, so that kind of offends me. I'm sure black people like him, too. A lot of black people said they liked him. I, I don't get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah just, uh, the old Twitter, drunk pen writing. You can uh, go to. We have Facebook still? Yeah, Facebook at drunk pen writing, Instagram, drunk pen writing. And you can go to spencer.porn.com. And you can. Fans uh, only. You have, to, uh, you have to pay for that. That's, uh, you know. He's also got. I don't know if you folks know this. Spencer's got one of them pay for Snapchats. Yeah. Uh, you get the uh, premium snaps. Pre premier. All nipples and butt hair. All right, you folks, have a wonderful evening. Bye. Bye.